Welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technology. My name is Tiasha Zaitz, and in this last episode of 2020, we will reflect on the year and look into the future with some of the experts and opinion leaders from the digital health industry. You will hear from experts from the US, Israel, Mexico, Chile, Spain, and South Korea. They shared their thoughts about the state and the future of digital health globally. I also asked the main experts about the trends and the future of blockchain, wearables, and VR. 2020 was a testing year for digital health. For a long time before that, innovators have dreamt about the potential of personal data tracking for individuals and population health. What 2020 showed us is that humanity is not yet ready for the society of surveillance. We also learned that even when surveillance models are accepted, their potential can reach a tipping point. What I mean by that is that by summer 2020, South Korea was the world exemplar of success in pandemic containment with track and trace approach. When the Western countries introduced contact tracing apps, they failed miserably. The majority of people didn't want to be traced. At the same time, By the end of the year, the system of tracing fell apart in South Korea as well. By Christmas, the country found itself in the position of struggling to build new capacities for much-needed ICU beds for new patients with COVID-19. This year was one of the worst years for healthcare professionals and one of the most significant years for shaking the culture in healthcare and speeding up digitalization-related changes. According to Mercom Capital Group, the top-funded digital health app categories in the first three quarters of 2020 were mental health, diabetes, fertility, fitness and meditation. We will see what the final yearly reports will show. But now, let's hear what some of the experts have to say. Levi Shapiro is investor, digital health instructor and founder of the M-Health Israel community. He predicts five major changes. Expansion of the Affordable Care Act in the United States rising suicides, negative health impacts of sleep disruption during the pandemic, and the huge scaling of digital therapeutics. He also expects that despite the vaccines, we will need to accept that COVID-19 will be with us for a long time. 2020 was the year we learned how much we care about toilet paper and how little we care about other people's health. 
things will be quite different in 2021. I expect three really significant trends to keep an eye on. One is structural healthcare reform in the United States. The new administration is very likely to have some success in introducing healthcare reform, particularly at the state level. There are now 39 states that have implemented the Affordable Care Act. About half of their state budgets is dedicated to healthcare. So look for some real reforms to uh, broaden eligibility for uh, health benefits. Secondly, there's a prediction of at least 75,000 deaths of despair in the U.S. alone. Deaths of despair is a term that includes suicide and deaths from drug and alcohol abuse. Uh, just in Japan, for example, in October, there was an 83% increase in suicides from women. The most vulnerable in society we're going to see a very significant impact in 2021 across the, the developed world. Finally, sleep. Sleep was definitely impacted as a result of uh, what we call the corona somnia. Sleep disruption has impacted something like an additional 40% of the population. Prescriptions for sleep medications rose about 20% in the beginning of the pandemic. There have been a number of um, uh, approaches towards addressing this increased demand in uh, tools to combat sleep disruption, uh, including about 70% of treatment, sleep treatment, has now moved from the clinic into the home. So three trends to keep an eye on in 2021 besides toilet paper. One, structural healthcare reform in the United States, particularly at the state level. Two, the increase in deaths of despair and the steps that will have to be taken at a public health level uh, to address those uh, deaths of despair and suicide and drug and alcohol abuse. And finally, sleep. Sleep represents a very interesting um, opportunity for technology and uh, unique treatment. So I wish everyone a happy and healthy 2021, full of uh, good cheer and lots of toilet paper. In the U.S., Jill Besh, managing partner of Finn Partners Global Health, predicts that the game changers in driving digital health will be familiar power names. COVID-19 has unleashed pent-up desire for efficiencies in a health system that's historically resistant to change. Digital health has the potential to drive those changes with lightning speed, from access to your provider, to remote diagnostic tests, to actually being able to look at your medical records in one institution and actually bring them in from another. The game changers are going to be familiar power names, now flexing their muscles for a piece of the nation's $3 trillion health sector. Google has both the ability, the capability, the credibility to effect change in something that has really perplexed us across the health ecosystem, which is the simple access to your medical records. Amazon has the potential to squeeze out costs in an inefficient drug supply chain system. Apple 
has the consumer might, the dollars, the research credibility to make wearables and diagnostic tests something that is part and parcel of medical practice. And Microsoft, through its power and ability to analyze data and pull it all together, could in fact be a catalyst for decentralized clinical trials. All of that is actually making an amazing environment for digital health innovators. The credibility and power of these large players combined with the ideas, the entrepreneurial skills, the need of society and the innovator coming together can affect long-awaited change. Latin America is among the regions in early stages of embracing digital health. Luis Santiago is the CEO of Pegasi, a healthcare IT company based in Venezuela, but operating in several other Latin American countries. Luis says that as well as elsewhere, mentality in Latin America has now shifted towards looking how technology could best help healthcare. 2020 was a really hard year for humanity as a whole. It forced us to profoundly change the way in which we interact with each other and with the world in order to face a novel threat, COVID-19. And the change was so profound, it touched healthcare, easily the industry that had resisted digital transformation the most. In that sense, we saw a huge surge of adoption of services that had been created for a long time, such as teleconsultation, remote patient monitoring, and clinical decision support fueled by artificial intelligence, just to name a few of them. Latin America is not outside of this reality. Two types of countries just exist in the region, the ones that had invested in this type of technologies before COVID-19, and the ones beginning their 2021 budget discussion with extraordinary investments in building networks for digital services to be adopted. Countries that had invested, such as Uruguay, Chile, Brazil, Argentina, and Mexico, quickly saw their output capacity insufficient, so 2021 will be a year of strengthening these services. The formula of choice? Public-private partnerships. Spaces of alliances between startups and SMEs with highly scalable technologies supported by large corporate groups such as the ones in pharma and insurance companies, deployed in public institutions or for large population sectors via government networks. It is no wonder consulting offices such as McKinsey report that digital healthcare investment in the region is going to rise by 21% in 2021, a thesis supported by the largest three-year ever in worldwide in terms of growth in this technological space investment. In a region where over 70% of healthcare information is still in paper, and where more than a third of its population doesn't have access to any sort of healthcare services, digital health services can be a game changer and a great democratizer. Let's hope the tendency remains and public-private alliances become a tool to grant many services traditionally unavailable to population. Staying with Latin America for another thought, Gabriel Alejandro Garzacaro, co-founder and managing director of Doctor from Mexico, says the biggest change triggered by COVID is democratization of patient empowerment and public awareness about health. Talking about 2020, it was a big challenge for everyone. 
in Latin America and in Mexico specifically, the challenges were big because a big percentage of the population has not access Mexico has access to to insurance for health and with high percentages of poverty limits the access so with this pandemic and with mobility restricted people had a lot of problem with that taking that in mind that pushes or pushed uh, a lot of health tech innovations to give precisely that access to to population and a lot of percentage also uh, of the populations uh, have health problems like obesity diabetes that give uh, further chronic problems like uh, um, respiratory problems cardiovascular problems so uh, a lot of the focus has been on the ecosystem for for chronic illnesses what are the challenges that i see for 2021 number one is access to information about health because all those populations that do not have right now access can now have it through a lot of startups the other big challenge is uh, interoperability all the systems and the ecosystems working together so, so a person with a chronic illness could connect with a doctor that can receive some laboratory tests and can give an electronic a recipe and the pharmacy can deliver those meds on a monthly basis and have following follow-up checkups and that linked to the insurance sector Despite being technologically advanced telemedicine was not legal in South Korea before the pandemic That is now shifting says Ogan Gurel thought leader doctor professor entrepreneur who has been living in South Korea for the last 10 years. As we talked about last time more extensively, digital healthcare it has a very unusual situation here in South Korea. It is actually not legal, especially the telemedicine side, even though Korea often many people regard and rightly so as very technologically advanced and all the big mobile phone companies and so forth. Telemedicine, which is a major part of digital healthcare, remote care and so forth, is actually not legal uh, in South Korea and there are many reasons that we went on in the last podcast. Obviously with the pandemic and the need for social distancing in a medical setting and in any setting for that matter and of course the increased need for digital healthcare those rules have actually been relaxed. So for example in the early days of the pandemic telephone consultation was allowed, telephone refilling of prescriptions were was allowed on a kind of emergency basis and of course that has put some additional pressure and interest in telemedicine i think there is a lot of talk in the government uh, about relaxing those rules more permanently and there's a lot of uh, activity among startups and so forth to do telemedicine for example there were a lot of uh, european companies that were interested in entering the telemedicine and digital healthcare market in korea and i actually advised them that that's not such a good idea obviously because of the regulatory barriers but i think that's uh, opening up one of the biggest challenges in korea is kind of its peninsularity it's a peninsula so that's a little bit of a take on the word insularity but uh, the peninsularity makes it more difficult to engage with outside groups and so globally based digital healthcare companies may still find it difficult to enter into the Korean market so the telemedicine initiatives in Korea are very much related to domestic companies now in broader terms in terms of the uh, 
uh, pandemic and digital healthcare, I think there's an increased need for things like a digital health wallet or digital portable digital information, documenting vaccine status, testing status, and so forth. We saw that on a United Airlines flight where a patient got on, they checked that they had no symptoms, that they were negative, but in fact, they were not, and they died on the flight, and that was a big thing in the news. So uh, that sort of digital healthcare portable health records will be very important. And I'm actually working with a company that has developed a very robust uh, solution around the digital health wallet that's been implemented in some countries and seeking to globalize. Dr. Grell was on the show for the series about the digital health in Asia, published in 2019. You can find the link to that discussion in the show notes. And to contact Ogan regarding the digital health wallet, you can contact him on his email, ogangurel at gmail.com. I also added that in the show notes. If we move from country or region-specific predictions, let's take a look at the trends and future of wearables, VR and blockchain. Joao Bocas, known as the wearable expert, says 2021 will be the end of wearables. Virtual and augmented realities will become important tools for fostering human connections. The second expectation from his side is the rise of fashion tech. You know I've been saying for the last five or six years that 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020 will be the year of wearables, but truly believe that 2021 will be truly the year of wearables. My first top trend and prediction is the Internet of Senses. So, we experienced the last few months, nearly a year with the pandemic, a lot of virtual uh, interaction and virtual reality. I predict that it will be really big in terms of using headsets for VR and AR, virtual reality and augmented reality, where we can experience, for example, live broadcasting, interaction with other humans and being as if we are in the room. The second prediction that uh, I uh, think will be really a massive trend is fashion tech, wearable technologies traditionally been on our wrists and I predict that in the future that will probably disappear. We're seeing a lot of different innovators uh, innovating and uh, uh, augmenting their the technologies in different places. Let me give you an example. Aura Ring, for example, the Finnish innovator with a very successful uh, Aura um, uh, Ring there that is your elf Companion, if you like, it predicts your sleep, health activities and your uh, H, heart rate variability and much, much more. But we will see a lot of uh, these different sensing technologies coming, for example, in our belts, our shoes, smart shoes, smart belts, smart rings, as I mentioned. So sensing technologies embedded in clothing into the human body. The third and big trend that I predict is femtech. Uh, femtech, in this case, uh, women's health technologies. We're seeing a lot of wearables now 
predicting, for example, menstrual cycles for uh, ladies, even the best period of the month to conceive a baby. And these insights will be extremely valuable in terms of personalized health. And I predict that 2021, these things will be more mainstream as consumers, ladies and gentlemen, we are more prone to adopt uh, these technologies. And we've seen lately that personalized health is extremely important. And with the pandemic really highlighted that our biggest asset is our health. Dr. Brennan Spiegel is a gastroenterologist who directs the Cedar Sinai Center for Outcomes Research and Education. He recently published a book titled VRX, which talks about what over 5,000 studies about VR have shown us about the potential of VR so far. In the recent discussion, he pointed to a few signs that show VR could become more widespread in the upcoming years. The first, uh, if just looking at signs of what where this might go, the FDA, for starters, you know, Food and Drug Administration in the United States, has now acknowledged that this is a new field of medicine. They have a name for it. They call it medical extended reality, or MXR for short. And that's an early, very good sign when the regulators see this as a real science. And just a couple weeks ago, the FDA provided a special designation for virtual reality as what they call a breakthrough device for managing pain. And that's another very important and formal designation that acknowledges the science and, and the evidence. So these are good signs that insurance companies may begin to take it seriously and start paying for this. That will be what will determine the future of virtual reality. If it gets paid for, people will start to use it. My fear is it doesn't get paid for, and and it continues to be like this, where it's researchers, it's interested physicians and clinicians occasionally using it, despite the fact that we have thousands and thousands of studies. We really need insurance companies to pay for this for it to explode. And it will explode. I believe that if it starts getting paid for, you'll start to see virtual reality clinics. You might see virtualists who become specialists in using VR, you know, may become a new specialty within medicine. Or maybe that each individual specialty has people that decide to use VR and adopt it within their practice and get paid for it. I don't know, but we need it to be covered by insurance companies for it to become really expansive and scale. This was an excerpt from a recently published interview with Dr. Spiegel. You can find the link to the full discussion in the show notes, as well as the link to the discussion with Robert Miller, Director of Product Management and Strategy at Consensus Health. We recently discussed the latest developments in blockchain. For the future, He predicts a lot of ideas from 2017 and 2018 are going to become viable and true with new types of infrastructure. He also has high hopes regarding federated learning, a machine learning technique that trains an algorithm across multiple decentralized edge devices or servers. Data samples are held locally and cannot be seen by other parties. These new types of tools that use new infrastructures, oftentimes their first killer use cases will start out looking like jokes or like games. 
And then um, over time, they become something really of their own and fully fledged. And uh, their true potential and maybe application to other things, other places are really realized. So that's like a roundabout way of saying, I think many of the things that folks thought would happen earlier in 2017 will happen, but maybe just not in the way that we expect. Very vague prediction. But we're, yeah, there are a lot of the, the things in place for that to happen. And then I'm very excited about uh, federated learning and its potentials for more collaborative algorithms and uh, really scaling things to, to many different parties. And I think we'll see federated learning algorithms be embedded into more consumer-facing uh, health applications. And this may in some ways like realize some of the promises of blockchain. For example, I have an Ura ring, which gives me metrics on my sleep and my heart rate today. And uh, this is done within a silo. I I know my heart rate and my metrics and whatever, and that's analyzed within a silo. But, you know, I have no easy way of scaling this up to a community around me. You have quantified self, but not the quantified community around me. And I think you could see how by layering on federated learning or other similar technologies, you could quickly build something that was new and and valuable uh, of doing collective community-based analytics on top of uh, health information that is valuable to to a community, going from quantified self to to quantified community. And I, I fully expect that to happen within the next two to five years, if not sooner. This was a glimpse into some of the trends we can expect to see in the near future. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, and if you enjoyed this content, do subscribe to the show to be notified about new episodes and topics covered in the future. I can already promise we'll dive into Japan, explore how music can be turned into digital therapeutics, and much more. May 2021 be a kind year for you. Stay tuned.